It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Hey, thanks once again, Chuck, and welcome everybody in the front row. I am your host, Mike Vaccaro. Behind the scenes, JR Quitman, our creator, producer, and director. Well, again, this is a CLNS Media Network podcast. Be sure to check out other great shows at clnsmedia.com. And also, we invite you to like, to subscribe, to share these shows, our guests, such great stories that we're hearing with this show. We hope that you enjoy them. And again, we'll share those with uh, your friends, your family, anybody who loves great stories of success and also some failure as well. Today, it's up to episode number 70. And for that, it's Mike Candrea. He is a softball coach, but not just any softball coach. He is one of the winningest softball coaches in NCAA history. Won eight championships, NCAA championships at Arizona in his 36 years. Also the head coach of the Olympic team. Won a gold medal in 2004, silver medal in 2008. And he shares his story with us and such great perspective in his story with his family, with his faith, and so many good sides to what he has to talk about with his lengthy career. So successful, but it's not just him. It's the players, it's the coaches he coached with and where he coached as well. Such a great story here. Do not miss this one. It's episode 70 in the front row featuring Mike Candrea. Well, Coach, we appreciate your time here. And uh, again, what a, a great career you've had. You're in a retirement right now, enjoying that, well-deserved. But let's get into your story here. You, you were born in New Orleans. I guess spent some time there as a kid before mm -hmm. you moved to, to Arizona. Early on, what were you playing athletically? Uh, and, and were you started as early as you were in New Orleans growing up? Yeah. Well, I was um, in love with the bat and ball game from day one. So there, there was no doubt. Um, I grew up with a, a bat in my hand and a ball in my hand. And in Louisiana, we used to go down the end of the street and we would um, mow the, the grass that was there and made our own field. And uh, it was, I mean, some of the best times of my life is playing with your friends, you know, and unfortunately today they don't do that enough. Yeah, certainly uh, kids on their gaming machines and everything else not getting outside, but you were doing that. Yeah. You know, again, at an early age and at seven, then you you moved to Phoenix. What was that move like for you? And, and you know, did that affect you playing baseball and playing other sports at the time? Well, the move was um, um, was crazy. I mean, you know, the only thing I knew about the West um, back then was the Cowboys and Indians. And so all I remember is, getting into a station wagon in uh, New Orleans and driving across Texas, which took us, it seemed like a month to get through Texas. Uh, but everywhere we would stop, I would be looking for the Cowboys and Indians because that's what I knew about the West. Um, but, you know, now I look back and it was, um, it was truly a gift, especially for the game of baseball, because um, there was a lot of baseball being played around year round here. And uh, the weather was a little better, not as much humidity. Um, and, um, you know, it was business as usual. Once I got to Arizona, um, played, uh, baseball just about every day of my life and got into high school and, and, uh, well, actually grade school, um, played a little basketball point guard and went into high school, played, uh, football, basketball, baseball, played, you know, multi-sports and, uh, and, uh, that then, you know, you you look back at your career and, and path, and you're going, man, I didn't plan it this way, but uh, 
the good Lord was looking out after me. Yeah, you, you eventually stuck with baseball. You were a second baseman. You go to a community college there, right. uh, Central Arizona College. Take us through that, going from high school, multiple sports, and then honing in on baseball and what it was like to play on that level. Yeah, well, you know, um, one thing I do remember is about my um, junior year in high school, um, they started the um, Arizona Winter League, and um, I was one of the first uh, to – get a chance to play baseball year round. And so one of the most um, devastating times of my life was walking in and telling our football coach that I was going to play baseball year round. And um, they weren't real happy with that, you know, but I really felt like looking at my size, you know, you're five, five, nine, and I'm definitely not going to be a basketball player. And I, I was in love with baseball and it gave me a chance to play the game year round. And, and that kind of springboarded my opportunity to, um, to go on to central Arizona college. And the reason why I went there uh, truthfully was because back then there was two drafts. There was a January draft and a June draft. And so if you went to the junior college, you had, you know, twice the opportunities to maybe get drafted and get a chance to play pro ball. And uh, little did I know the numbers kind of add up where, you know, 1% maybe make it. Um, but um, I enjoyed my time uh, at central and, and then I got talked into coaching at that time. Um, I had elbow surgery. Um, I had Tommy John surgery before Tommy John. <laughs> so they didn't name it. Um, didn't name it Mike Candrea. They named it Tommy John. But uh, anyway, went through that. Took me about two years to recover from that. And it kind of ended my baseball career. But um, I was fortunate that um, a gentleman, Ken, uh, Kenny Richardson, asked me to come coach. Uh, in junior college baseball. So in 1976 was my first year of coaching. Um, and we won a national championship that year. So I'm thinking, man, this is a pretty good gig and it's pretty easy. <laughs> little yeah. did I know it'd get a little tougher. Yeah, it certainly gets tougher as you go up. But uh, as you said, assistant coach of baseball, and then you became the, the head coach of softball at, yep. at Central Arizona. Take us through that conversation and, and what led to you getting that head coaching job. Well, it was funny uh, you asked because um, it was by accident. Um, George Young uh, was the athletic director at Central Arizona College. And uh, George was a four-time Olympian, by the way. Uh, won a bronze medal in Mexico City. And, um, and I remember him walking in my office one day and said, Mike, I need your help. And I go, what's that, George? He goes, I need you to coach the women's softball team. And I'm going, what did I do wrong? I said, uh, you know, I'm a good baseball coach. And I had no idea of ever coaching um the female athlete or coaching softball uh knew nothing about it and i said well you know i'll he was explaining to me the reasons why and i was an assistant coach it would give me a chance to run my own program title nine was coming in and support for women's athletics and it all kind of made some sense and i decided to do it for a year i said george i'll do it for a year but that's it and I did it for a year. And after that year, we had a decent year, but I said, man, if, if I go find some, a pitcher, I think I can win this thing, you know? And so I hook and sinker, man, I go out and I recruit Connie Clark and Connie, um, from Greenway high school. Connie was, um, as you well know, went on to be a very accomplished, uh, player at Cal state Fullerton and, um, the head coach at university of Texas, the very first coach there. And so I recruited her and we won back-to-back -back championships and that launched me into 
the University of Arizona, where I spent the next 37 years. Yeah, 1981 to 85, you're the head coach at Central Arizona. Take us through that first meeting with your softball team. As you said, you didn't know much yeah. about it. You, you, you never had coached women before, but what was that meeting like? Well, you know, it was um, – I didn't know any different. You know, I said they're, they're athletes, and I know the bat and ball game. And so the one thing I did, did, did know is that I'm, I'm going to be a fundamentalist. I mean, we're going to teach them how to play the game the right way. And, um, and then I had to go out and kind of – learn um, fast pitch softball so um i decided i would go out and watch the men play and i remember one night or one uh, summer there was a tournament in kimberly wisconsin it was the international softball congress world championship i went out and watched the best you know and and that's where i really kind of learned the the nuances of the game because I used to think, why is everyone bunting in softball? Can't they hit, you know? And then I go and I find out that the speed of the game and the shortness right. of the field and um, the short game, you know, I mean, a lot of the little differences um, is where I picked it up. And then um, so I I was always been a student of the game and I decided to bring it back and started doing some of that stuff at Arizona. And, you know, speed, speed kills. Speed doesn't go into a slump. And that's one of the neat parts about softball. What was the bigger adjustment going from male to female or going from baseball to softball? Well, um, I would say male to female. I, I think, um, and I'll tell you why, because coaching baseball, uh, junior college baseball, every kid thought they were going to be in the big leagues. So they weren't great students. Um, you know, they, they didn't take their education seriously and therefore they put all their eggs in one basket. And I remember sitting around and listening to grown men cry about, you know, they had no future because they didn't finish their education. And uh, it was pretty sad. And so real quickly, I realized that, you know, men are pretty cocky and, and, and they do things in spite of you. And then I go to the women and I'm going, my God, they're, they're like a mound of clay and you can mold them any way you want because they don't have any bad habits. And, and actually, after about a year, I realized, you know, the big difference is that men have to play good to feel good. Women have to feel good to play good. And um, so the emotional side was a big part of it. And, and learning how to, to tap into that emotional side and turn it into a positive, um, I started enjoying that piece of it because I never had any problems with academics. They're all good students because they knew that softball was not going to be the end of their life. Um, they're going to walk away with an education and use softball as a platform. And, and so it was a much easier thing, you know, and, and then I really liked the idea of having someone that didn't have any habits that you could, you know, teach them the right way and they would pick up on it. Very coachable, um, but very emotional, you know? And so you had to kind of understand the, the ups and downs that you're going to go through. And I've, realized that I could turn those emotions into positives much easier than I can the ego, you know. Well, you did that for a long time at Arizona, as you said, 1986, you started there, retired in 2021. When you started, you were at a rec field, right? And now they're playing at a field that, that bears your name. Yeah. Uh, what did it take to get that program to where it is now and, and to really build it, as you said, maybe using Title IX as yeah. a big way to do that? 
Well, you know, when I got to Arizona and, and I, I left a 10 year teaching position at a junior college and, um, what made me want to chase, um, division one softball, I have no idea, but it, it was the thing to do. You know, um, if I was going to coach, I wanted to coach at the highest level. And at the time in softball, the highest level was division one. And so I had the opportunity to come to Arizona. And I remember the first day going out to practice and uh, I walk out to the field. It was a rec field, basically, um, you know, chain link dugouts and seating for about 50 of your best friends. <laughs> you know, it was completely different. But the big thing was I walked out there and there's a bunch of people on the field and I'm going, hey, I've got practice at 2.30, man. And the guy goes, well, you're going to have to wait till the PE class is done because we use this field also. So I realized right then and there that, you know, I, I had to build from the ground up and, um, you know, I had to drag my own field. I had to, and I was used to doing a lot of that, but still you think you're going to the, the major leagues and you're really not, you know? And, um, so we, we started off on this field and took a lot of pride in it and built the program. And, uh, George Young always told me, don't complain about what you don't have, take what you have, <clears throat> make the best out of it. And then in 91, we won a national championship, the first one. And I remember a gentleman coming into my office after that and says, Mike, I want to help your program. What do you need? And I go, hmm, <laughs> well, Mr. Hillenbrand, um, this is kind of what I'm thinking right now. And I had this picture of a stadium drawn on a map, I mean, on a, a napkin. And I said, this is what I think we need. I said, if we build this, we can put people in the seats. And we have a good product. And he goes, well, let me think about it. He came back a week later, wrote me a check for $1.2 million. We built the, the first Helen Brand Stadium of its kind. And, of course, um, we were in that and very proud of that for a lot of years. And then, you know, finally had the opportunity to really upgrade to, to make it the way you really want it and make it more fan-friendly now that we were drawing 3,000 people at games. Mm -hmm. And that's what you see today, you know, the, the culmination of uh, a lot of hard work, some dreams and some some very great, gracious um, donors that put some money in um, and helped us build, I think, one of the best facilities in the country. And it's got to mean more for you to have your name on it, not just because of the wins of those accomplishments, but again, because you were involved kind of getting it all from from the ground up. Is that the way you look at it when you see your name up there? Oh, I do. And in, in fact, I, I was one of the people that donated for the project. So, I mean, I've got some blood, sweat and tears into it. And, and um, yeah, it, it's not often that you get a chance to kind of live through history. And that's really the thing that that I'm blessed about is that I, I was able to watch our, our sport mm -hmm. grow and be a part of it. And then you go to Arizona and, you, and I've, I've been a part of watching it built you know and so it's been kind of a unique experience for me and very humbling um but um very gracious that um i had the opportunity to to, to make a wise decision and go into softball and, and do it yeah certainly it has benefited you in your career and as you said 1991 your first of yeah. eight national championships what was the first one like is that the one maybe you remember the most fondly because it was your first well, you know, I, I remember that one because it was a blue-collared 
um, athletes. I mean, it was Arizona athletes. We had a few California athletes sprinkled in there, but um, we definitely weren't the five-star group that, you know, had NIL money and, and all the things you see today. It was just a group of, in fact, I went to the junior college level to bring a bunch of them in because that's the only thing that I really knew back then. And um, there was just a lot of um, gratification watching that team compete. And, you know, we, we, we face a Lisa Fernandez who was undefeated, you know, and we're going, there's no way in hell we're going to beat her. But back then it was only a one game showdown and um, you have to beat them once, you know, and I remember that game. We, we scored one run on two hits. They had no, no, we had one run on one hit. They had no runs on two hits and we win. You know, but that was softball. That was fast pitch softball back then. White ball, white seams, 40 feet, um, pitcher-dominated game. Probably not the best game to watch um, because there was not a lot of offense. And then watching the game change to the optic yellow ball with the red seams, moving the mound back to 43 feet. Um, and now you look at the bats, um, the equipment that these kids are using. I mean, anyone can hit one out of the ballpark, which is kind of crazy. So uh, my big thing right now is we need to move the fences back to 225 all the way around would be a better game. Put a little premium on the, the outfield play and and not have pop-ups go out of the um, the field. But yeah, that was it, you know, and, and um, it's it's just been an amazing sport to watch grow. And I think in 91, we had one game on television. That was the championship game. Um, and then ESPN started really mm-hmm. helping this sport grow. And um, each year there were more and more games on television where now today there's what tons. I mean, yeah. yeah. Any day you can turn on TV and see a softball game and you go from college softball to athletes unlimited. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's a game that is very fun to watch. And the big thing is we got to keep it in that two hour window because our game's starting to get a little longer too. You know, (laughs) they've shortened baseball and, so we've got to kind of watch what we're going to do and and make sure that we keep this game, you know, where TV really likes it. Yeah, and TV does, as you said, so much more coverage now than there was back when when you began. But yeah. you, you look at your career, 1,674 wins. You were the first of 1,500 wins. Uh, your, your second all-time now, Carol Hutchins at Michigan, surpassed yeah. you since you, you retired. But 24 World Series appearances, the eight championships we talk about, three-time National Coach of the Year. You're in six Halls of Fame, most recently this past fall inducted into the Arizona Athletic Hall of Fame. What are those numbers as you hear all those? What does that mean about what you were able to do at Arizona, but as you said, for the, the sport of softball as well and what we see now as that sport? Growing up as a young kid, my, my dad always said, you know, whatever you choose to do, be the best at it. And so I've always been driven to to try to do the best job that I could. Um and um, leave leave it better than what I found it. And, um, you know, I just feel like I was able to walk through this magical journey um, because this sport was really um, at its infancy stage, you know, when I first found it. And then to leave it now and look back and, you know, you look at the College World Series today and two million viewers watching a game, you know, you just, you never dreamed that that would ever happen. But I can see why it has, because we, we've had some 
um, great athletes, you know, like the Jenny Finches of the world and Cat Ostermans and Monica Abbott's and um, Nancy Evans. I can go on and on and on. We've had so many athletes that are not only great athletes, but they've given of themselves to help grow the sport. That's the one thing I like about softball is, you know, any of the these young ladies that I've been able to coach have also done a great job in going to the grassroots and help grow the sport. And that's why the sport is in the better place now than it was. And you mentioned Jenny Finch. She's one name that even if you're not an enthusiast of, of softball, you know who she is. Mm-hmm. What was it like coaching her, especially around the notoriety that he, she brought to the sport to you guys as well? Was that a, was that a plus? Was that a, a hindrance at times? No, it, it was definitely a plus. I mean, Jenny is um, uh, one of those uh, athletes that that has it all. I mean, she's and when I say she has it all, she's a very talented athlete. Number one, she's she's um, a very beautiful young lady um, inside and out. And and I think the thing that impressed me the most about her is is her ability to um, to have the the balance that she has in her life and be able to spread that in, in the softball world. And, you know, um, to me, that's a big part of, of what I do because um, I've learned over the years that, you know, you have to, your family's in the center of everything that you do and um, you better enjoy that. And I think sometimes as a coach, um, I wasn't really good at balancing that. You know, I, I was striving to be the best at what I did and, Sometimes I lost out in watching my own son play the game and my daughter playing the game and stuff like that. But I think Jenny was one that really made me understand um, that you can have balance. You can you can spend time with your family and you can and you can enjoy your faith, you know, and to me, that's a big part of my life. And um, unfortunately, when I was pursuing that that dream, um, sometimes it was hard to balance that. And so I've learned from athletes like. Jenny Finch and Leo, Leo Miko, um, you know, uh, who have kind of showed me that it can be done, you know, and I think today you look at the athlete today and that's a big part of the big piece that you have to have, um, is, is that balance. Um, you know, Jordy ball leaves to go back to Nebraska because of family. And I can understand that because it, it is tough. Um, you know, because, you know, the, a national championship doesn't change your life. And I used to think that as a young coach. I, I used to judge my success on whether we won a championship or not. And I realized that the sun went up and went down no matter whether I won or not, you know. But when you're in that moment, um, you think that that's what it's all about. And and so the one thing I realized throughout this process is that, you know, I used to agonize on every defeat but I would blow through the victories, you know, I mean, I would just keep moving forward, keep moving forward. I never enjoyed the little small moments. And, um, as you get older, um, you, you tend to celebrate every day, you know, because every day is a gift. And so, um, I think there's a lot of that stuff now that coaches, um, understand are a big piece of that, you know, making that athlete feel good physically, mentally, and emotionally, because, you know, this group has gone through some tough times. I've never had to go through COVID as a young kid. Mm -hmm. And I see the impact it's had on others. And so I think there's a lot more to coaching today. And I think the big part of it, if I could sum it up, is I think you have to coach the person first before you can coach the athlete. 
because every person has something, some need emotionally, mentally, whatever it may be, that has to be taken care of before you can actually help the athlete physically. And I know when I first started, all I worried about was recruiting the very best athlete. And if they had the highest skill set in softball, they were good. But then I've learned now there's a lot more to it. And and I think with with um, COVID and, and, you know, the social aspect has changed. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's just so much more now that goes into it. And so I, I um, commend these um, coaches today to, to have to balance. I mean, it's a balancing act of not just um, coaching the athlete, but you've got, to, you've got to help the person. And you've got to really find out what that person needs to be successful because I think today's kid doesn't really care. I mean, yeah, they're driven. But, but at the end of the day, they, they have other needs than a championship. You know, so hopefully that process that you're using to build a championship environment um, also includes um, taking care of the details of the athlete, the person, and uh, keep them safe. Again, for you, 36 years at Arizona, five years before that at Central Arizona, mm-hmm. at what point in your career did you have that perspective to take a step back a little bit to, and to spend more time with your family and to, again, you you bring your faith into it yeah. more. What, at yeah. what point in your career did that happen for you? Well, I'll tell you, it, it, it took a while. In fact, um, I can, I can take you back to the time that it really, it kind of happened. Um, I was coaching the um, uh, Olympic team as an assistant coach in 1994, um, getting ready for the Olympic games in, in Atlanta in 96. So I was an assistant to Ralph Raymond we were in St. John's, Newfoundland. I'm in this little dorm room for a month and um, just won a championship at Arizona, coaching the best team in the world, and I'm miserable. I couldn't figure it out. And it was ironic because I went home and, you know, I walked in the house and I'd been gone for a month and a half and my son didn't say, Dad, welcome home. He said, Dad, can we talk? And I go, oh, my God, what happened? And he said, would you consider dropping out of the USA coaching pool so that you can watch me play baseball? And that's when it kind of changed. I said, you know what? My kids need more than just this coach, you know, and I've never been really good at that. Even till today, I look back and, you know, I was honored as a father of the year um, last year. And I, I kind of look back and I, there's a lot of deficiencies that I had because of this stupid game that I was in love with, but it's the only thing that I knew, you know, um, I had a passion to be the best at what I did and, I love the game, and if you're going to do it, you might as well be all in. But on the other hand, it takes its toll in other areas. And so I, I've, I'm constantly playing catch-up with uh, my kids, you know. And um, I, it's, it's almost embarrassing to talk about it, but it's, it's reality. And I think anyone that pursues anything at this highest level um, is going to have a, a tough time trying to balance that. Oh, I think any coach, I'm a broadcaster that travels with teams here at UNCW. I, I know what you're talking about. You you yeah. miss things because you're driven to be the best at what you're doing. And, hey, we have jobs that aren't nine to right. five. You don't right. have the weekends off. No. Yeah, you know, I've never – I always tell people that I've never worked a day in my life because I've, I've followed my passion. Mm-hmm. 
I've done what I love to do. And, and you know what? The other thing is I never worried about time. <laughs> time was not even an issue. It's like, I don't care whatever it takes, you know, to get the job done. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm committed to it. And then you look back now and it's, um, as you get older, time gets pretty precious, you know, because I look back at uh, mom and dad are gone and God, you, you'd love to have a conversation with them. But, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately when, when, one of the great things that I did um, is I had some property that my house was on and I built a guest house and had my mom and dad move in to that guest house in their later years. And I at least got a chance to go have a cup of coffee with them. Yeah. You know? Um, and I'm so glad I did that because otherwise, you know, you'd be missing them now, but you, there's not much you can do. Yeah. You know, that cup of coffee probably, more valuable than the cup of coffee you could have had in Major League oh, Baseball, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned the, the Olympics, and that mm -hmm. was a big part of your career as well. 2004, you became the head coach. You were the head coach of an outstanding team. Gold medal <laughs> team, Athens Olympics, outscored opponents 51-1 to one to win that gold medal. Did, did you go in to it thinking, okay, this is we're going to run through this? Yeah. Is that your mindset? Well, you know, my mindset was, um, what am I doing here? I'm taking over a program that all they've done is win gold medals, you know? So there, if I had a fear of failure, I definitely wouldn't have been the guy for that job. So uh, the one thing I look at is I, it was an opportunity for me to coach the very best players in the world. And I think for the first time, um, we were going to get a chance to see our athletes compete when they were in their prime at 27, 28 years old because that was never the case. And the other thing was that we we're going to be able to, to train full time that we found a way to, to fund them enough that they could invest their time and efforts on the game of softball and make us the very best team that we could. And so walking in, I was very, very um, excited about this opportunity and knew we had some very, very good players. I mean, um, very special players, but very special people. And, I used to look at them every day and I go, what makes them so special? And I, I the one thing is they're competitive. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no doubt about it, the most highly competitive people you'll ever meet. Um, they had great eyes, which in our sport is pretty important, but they also had um, tremendous emotional stability. They were, they were never too high, never too low. Um, they were able to put themselves in the Olympic arena during a practice session in Chula Vista, California. You know, so they, they understood preparation. Um, and then we had great teammates because everyone was an all-star. You know, I mean, you had everyone on that team deserved to be playing. And so you had to have people that understood their roles and would accept their roles. And I think that's what made that team so special is, is they were they were a machine. You know, very talented, but um, very close as a team. And um taught me a lot about about the game and about preparation you know because i know the one thing that i i realized when i was when we were practicing so much is that um if if i didn't challenge them they'd get bored <laughs> right yeah. yeah and so i always tell young coaches i said you have to understand the balance between challenge you know and and in, in state of mind, because if, if, if they have, if they have a high skill and a low challenge, they get bored, but if they have a low skill and you give them a high challenge, they get frustrated. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think it's important for coach, young coaches to understand that. Where, who am I working with? And where, where are they in that spectrum? Because I think that's important. You know, I think sometimes we worry too much about the score with um, youth softball. I'd rather see them go out and teach the skills and not worry about the score. And who gives a darn? And, and, and I'm, I, it appalls me that all these young girls have rings on their fingers already, you know, and at 10 and under, and they're, they're giving them a ring. You know, it's like I have to wait till you know, forever to get that ring. And that's probably what kept me going, but great opportunity. Um, so proud of being a part of that. Um, there's nothing like representing your, your country. And, and um, I was just blessed because I also went through a very tough time in 04 when lost my first wife to a brain aneurysm. And it was really this team that was kind of my safety net and, you know, helped me kind of get through a tough time. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that? I mean, again, career wise, this is maybe the pinnacle of your career to represent yeah. your country and then to have that loss. How, how did you kind of move past that? You yeah. know, if you could, I guess. At that well, time? I think you, that's where your faith comes into play. You know, you if, if you understand um, and you you know that. That. There's life beyond. What we do here and but you have you have to put your hands and your faith in, in God's hands, you know, and, and that's all I could do. I mean, there's a lot of questions you ask, you know, why me and why this and why that, but at the end of the day, you got a choice to either move forward or, or move backwards, you know, and, and I had to find a way, I had two kids for the first time. I had to really become the, a father, meaning that I, I knew what the color of our checkbook was, <laughs> you know, I maybe found out what they needed because for all these years, I, all I did was get up and go to work. Mm-hmm. You know, and most people don't realize that my first 21 years at Arizona, I commuted 72 miles one way Wow! to work every day because um, my wife had a job. She was an accountant. She loved her job. So I said, well, I'll just commute for a while and see how this thing works, you know, and 21 years later, I'm, I was commuting. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a challenge. You know, it was um, definitely a very difficult time. And you know, a couple of years later, I got a chance to, to, to meet my wife, Tina, right now, who has um, been a blessing for me. And, and, you know, we've been able to share some great moments um, now being able to travel the world. And right now I'm consulting with the Italian national team. And so she's able to be a part of that. And um, she was able to be a part of my end of my career at Arizona, you know, and I think that's what it's all about because I realized that you have to have someone to share the ups and downs with. And, you know, I drove, drove home for a while. And finally one day I realized why was I driving home? Cause there was nothing at home that I, you know, was there for. Yeah. And so life kind of finds its own way. And I think a big part of it, you know, um, I think Tina and I, one of our first dates was going to mass on Ash Wednesday, you know, so um, I got a chance to, meet someone that their faith was important because to me, that's a big piece of it. And, um, and then um, she knew nothing about softball. I mean, her, her first opera, her first experience was the Olympic games, you know, <laughs> in 2008. And so she didn't know whether you had to run the first base or you could run the third base first. Uh, <laughs> so it was kind of interesting to have someone there that um, number one, didn't know you. So didn't really care how, 
what you had, had done in your life, you know, it's, it's been pretty refreshing. And so, um, COVID, I got a chance to teach her how to play golf and, um, that was fun. And so now, you yeah, know, now I have a, a new partner to enjoy life with. And, um, we have, she has two boys and I have a boy and a girl. And so we've got a, a little larger family, just had, um, two, two new grandkids, um, here in the last couple of years. And uh, so we have four grandkids and, um, you know, beautiful place in, in the mountains and pine top on a golf course. And I live on a golf course here in Tucson. I mean, life's good. And then I'm still working part-time at Arizona as a um, special advisor to the athletic director. And so I'm getting a chance to work with um, our other coaches and mentoring them. And um, we started a, um, monthly breakfast for all the head coaches. And so this coming Monday, I have a, uh, our second breakfast with this group. And really it's kind of fun to get them all in the, the room and, and talk about some of the challenges and trying to find some solutions and giving some feedback to administration. You know, um, I think it's a big part of today's world because it's a challenge. I mean, I listen to the college sports talk, you know, radio all the time and, this conference realignment and NIL and, you know, the transfer portal, it's just like, I, I'm glad I got out of it before all this hit, but it is what it is. I mean, it's, we're, we have to learn how to navigate this and I can't say it's a good thing all the time. I think it's, um, right now I feel like it's a wild, wild west. So I, I hope we can get some, our, our hands around some of this stuff. Yeah. It seems like, again, you, you, retired in 2021 it seems like maybe outside of athletics you just your your life in general you have much greater perspective is that what you see is that maybe what retirement has also provided for you a chance to oh absolutely take it all in from that perspective absolutely i mean it's it's well one thing you realize is that you know when you're in the bubble the bubble is the most important thing and you make it more important than it really is and and now that i'm kind of I'm outside the bubble, you know, you realize that some of this stuff that you used to worry about, um, no one else really cares. You know, it's much of the pressures are self-inflicted. And so I think, yeah, life is a lot bigger than this game. And, and, you know, when I was in the game, the game was bigger than life and that should not make, it doesn't make any sense. And so I think, like anyone, you know, you can't, you, you can't teach experience because experience allows you to live through these challenging moments. And, um, I've lived through some challenging moments and I look back and I go, you know, some of the things I would have changed and done it a little differently. And, um, but to the most part, I, I look back at my life and, and I've been really blessed to, to do something that I love to do. Hopefully I've made an impact on some young kids in, and I think I have, um, one of the things I started doing many years ago was, uh, in my planner, I, I would have everyone's birthday and I, I never miss a kid's birthday. And so that's kind of my way of staying connected with all of these athletes, because I used to think I coached them for four years and they would leave. And then I realized when I started coaching softball that they never left. They were, you're a part of their life forever. And that was the blessing of softball is to be able to watch them grow into young women and and have families and, and, and kind of enjoy that together. 
And so today that's, that's kind of the fun part is I get up in the morning. First thing I do is I look who's got a birthday today. And, and that's the only thing I like about text messages is at least I don't have to sit on a phone or a pay phone to call. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, life is good right now. And I look back now and I, I wouldn't change anything now. I've, I've learned some lessons that I could maybe have done a little better, you know, but I think that's what life is. You know, I, I don't know many people that do it perfect the first time. Including doctors, that's why they call it practice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to be careful who you go to, but it's true. It's um, I I just God, I look back and I'm going. There were so many forks in a row that I could have taken the yeah. wrong fork, but I just happened to take the right fork every time. Thirty six years. That's a lot of birthdays. So I have that's to remember. Awesome. I know you said you have it written down, but that's, are you doing it, multiple ones every day? It, it, it pretty much is, you know, there's some days there's five or six or some days that there are two or three and, but it's, um, yeah. And, and you know what, I, I I'm, I'm not gonna take credit on this idea because um, the, I got this idea from um, Ron Polk at Mississippi state. Yep. And my brother-in-law played for Mike for uh, Ron, um, back in the day with Raphael Palmero and Bobby Thigpen and Will Clark and yeah. Buck Showalter. But anyway, um, I was always impressed that Coach Polk would never miss a birthday or an anniversary because my my best friend married my sister. <laughs> you know, my best friend in college, um, I took him home too many times and he ended up <laughs> marrying my sister, so my best friend's in my family. And... Um, I was always impressed that Ron Polk would never miss a birthday or anniversary. And I'm going, you know, that's a hell of an idea. And it doesn't take much. It just takes, you know, a little bit of effort on your part to, in, it makes people feel special. I know how I feel when someone sends me a happy birthday wish. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's something that I learned. And I'm, I think it was, a, it's a big part to help stay connected with your, your athletes. I think one of the things I love about Arizona softball is the tradition um, that we have. And, and, you know, that was all built in, you know, brick by brick. And uh, you look back now and it's a pretty huge tradition, but I've got no one to thank, but the, the players that have built that tradition. And so being able to, to stay in contact with them is a, is a blessing. Well, August 29th is your birthday. I'll be sending you a message to, to help okay. brighten your day a little bit with your birthday coming up this summer. It, again, so many numbers, so many things. A member of six Halls of Fame has mentioned. Is there one thing, you know, one honor that in your mind is the honor, the thing that maybe you think of the most, maybe that people don't think about when they think about you? Um, Not really. It's, it, I mean, it's, there's not one thing. It's, 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 it's a culmination uh, of, of a lot of things. And, and so I think every, every great moment that I had was a blessing in my life. And it, it has kind of, it's been like a tree that has built, you know, for the final product. And I mean, I, I love the people. I think there's one thing that I miss more than anything is just dealing with some of the people that I, I've had the pleasure of working under some great athletic directors and um, some assistant coaches that, um, you know, I, I need to thank them because they worked just as hard as I have to, to build this legacy. Um, but 
um, my time with USA softball and, and Ronnie Isom, who was the, uh, um, team director, um, was a pretty special moment in my life because I, I never, ever dreamed, you know, I go back to when I first took the job in softball, George Young was a four-time Olympian, won a mm -hmm. bronze medal in Mexico city, trained for 16 years of his life. And I always just wondered, George, what, how do you do this? I mean, you're, you're, you're training an entire year for one damn race, you know, and I watch him out in the desert running every morning and every afternoon. And I said, what, how do you keep yourself going? He goes, well, every time the alarm rings, I think of the Russians getting up and they're not going to beat me. So I'm getting my butt out of bed and I'm going to train. Wow. And then I got a chance to put on the USA uniform and, and, and represent our country. And I just remember the first time, um, being in on foreign soil and listening to the national anthem it, it changed completely that song in my head forever and to this day i mean i i get tears you know i'm very emotional about our country and and very sad that not everyone feels the same way but um one of my greatest things right now that i've got going is I, i'm an honorary commander at Davis Mountain Air Force Base. So yesterday, Tina and I were out. Um, we, there was a commander change. Um, the commander that I was working with is now leaving, going to Alabama. They're bringing in a new one, and they had the ceremony. But I'm sitting there, and and and, and one of the soldiers are singing the national anthem, and it just brought tears to my eyes. I mean, it was unbelievable, you know. And then and then they 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 play. Um, the air force, you know, off we go in the wild blue yonder and I'm standing there and all of these, um, soldiers are singing it. Every one of them, it's like a chorus. And I'm going, man, this, this is, I mean, probably if I wouldn't have got into coaching, I, I would have either gone two ways. I would have been in the military because I love the discipline or I probably would have been a priest <laughs> because I, I love the opportunity to, to share and help others and so you, you as you get older you get a little more sentimental about all these opportunities you've had and kind of narrow them down as to why and to me it's the people it's the it's the players it's the coaches um, it's the former coaches that I've been able to coach with I mean I had a a fun time just texting um, some of the college world series co coaches that are now uh, at it and, and um, wishing them good luck. And we had our very first Pac-12 tournament um, in Tucson. We hosted the very first one. And that was kind of fun to be able to be a part of that. You know, so my life's good right now. And, and um, we're, we're, Tina and I are getting ready to leave um, here soon. We're going to Vancouver for the Canada Cup um, with the Italian national team and then back to Italy for the World Cup qualifiers. So Still got my foot in the door, but um, not not quite as um, as hot as it used to be. Well, you, you took the military and the priest, you put them together, and you became a coach, right? You had the <laughs> discipline, you shared there the you stories, and, and you did everything. So, so you combined those two and became a coach. I could see why you're such a successful coach. Great messages here today. Well, thank um, you. And again, I love the perspective that you have. You know, now looking back a little bit, and even during your career as well, as as you said, just. 
coaching is enjoyable. Coaching is fun. Coaching takes a lot of your time. So uh, I, I really appreciate the perspective that you have and um, incredible message and, and you. wish you nothing but the best and, and hey. appreciate you joining us here today. Same here, man. It's uh, you know, life is good. So every day is a gift. Um, I, I thought my golf game would get a lot better. And it's, <laughs> I find out that the more you play that game, the, the more challenging it becomes, but, um, it's been fun to be able to get up every day. And, and I always tell people every day is a Saturday. Now I get up and decide what I want to do. And, um, it's been fun, but, um, well, take care of yourself. All right. Hopefully you have a lot more rounds of golf in you. You got it. All <laughs> right. God bless. Well, great story, great perspective for an outstanding coach there, Mike Candrea, joining us, sharing his story with us now in his retirement, but still very busy on his way to Vancouver and to Italy as well. We thank you for watching today and once again, invite you to subscribe to our show. Make sure you like this episode and also share it with your family and friends and whoever, again, likes great stories. This one, a great story of success, but also of perspective as well for a long time head coach on the collegiate level. We thank you once again for watching and listening. We'll see you next time in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day, everybody.